I think uh, that the Lord is uh, ushering us into a place of reality. I hope that uh, today you hear an invitation for your reality to collide with hope. Um, A lot of times when you think of hope, uh, for me, it seemed like a fluffy little notion, a little bit out of reach and without a true grasp. Sometimes hope's far-fetched thought that I'm kind of punting wherever I'm at in life and hoping that, the, uh, that something can get far away from me. But I think God wants us to return to uh, the notion that He is God and that He is a loving and caring God, a personable God that knows your reality. And not only wants to bring hope to you today, but wants to manifest change to the point where He would be glorified in your life. That's another lofty, semi-religious sounding that God, the universe, would be glorified in our lives. That's very humbling. It's almost wondering what's useful about that. Why would you need to glorify yourself through us, God? I want to give you hope today. Uh, furthermore, I want the Scriptures to speak to you and to, to lift you in a place. I want you to think first. Um, many times it's, it's, a, it's a fun gig to, to step on the train with God because you can go places. And uh, before we get into the Scriptures and before I get into that, does anyone need a Bible? Will you raise your hand if you want a Bible? I've got a friend back here that's going to hand you a Bible. Okay, nobody, that's good. Um, we're going to read anyway, but I wanted you to, I want you to think before you get on the train with God, a lot of times it's like, this is a really good ride. I really like the God train. This is fun. (laughs) It's not usually on time, but, uh, or on my time schedule, but when I get on the God train, it seems really fun. And, um, and you kind of appreciate the ride with God. If you've, if you're one of these people that have traveled with God, or some of you are thinking about it, what would it mean to travel with God? And there's hope in that to go, okay, will the ride be like this or will the ride be like that? But really, many times, have you ever gotten onto a train or ever gotten into a car or a mode of transportation, a vehicle, and when you get there, you're like, this is a good spot to be? And I'm finding the best times are when I've either had to walk a lot in my life or a car was broken down or I got to get back into the car and it's like, I'm so thankful this thing's running. Or, when, or maybe the weather's terrible and I get into a vehicle and I get to travel and I really love the comfort of, of where I'm getting to go with it. But a lot of the times I'm most thankful in life, whatever the analogy is, is when I've come from brokenness and God is starting to fulfill some of His promises to me. Because I had hope in what He said, but when it starts to really happen and come to fruition in life, that's the biggest contrast from my brokenness to His holiness. And when I'm experiencing the clash, the wonderful regeneration of that, when God does that kind of work in my life, I'm most grateful and most thankful. So... I want us to be a thankful people. And for us to truly be thankful, we need to understand what God's doing in us and through us and for us through this faith. We need to open our eyes and open our ears. And it's not always fun to do this to you, but I I need to ask you to to go where you're broken. where you're hurting the most. I know that finances is a big one. The market crashed earlier in the year and economies split. I know that people are broken financially and very frustrated. I know that relationally people are broken. In fact, to the point where it feels like it's never been fixed. It's never been whole. There's situations or circumstances that are caused 
that cause divorces, not just marital divorces, but divorces, splits of people and opinions and judgments, and there's stress. We wonder, how will that ever get fixed? Or I don't have the guts to be a part of that being fixed. I'd rather ignore that. There's situations many times in our brokenness where we would rather ignore it. We don't really want to quite get to it. Or if we get to it, it's extremely irritating. It causes hostility in us. It causes a lack of godliness. Or it causes us worse to be so tempted that our revolt to it, our rebellion, causes us to go deeper into sin. We're so revolt or sick of a situation that we seek some other form of hope. We place where we're at in that brokenness into something else. We desire for it to be whole, made whole through some other means. And today with the Scriptures, Paul is writing, we're, we're going to end of Romans. Paul is writing to a Roman people that, is consist, that consists of people groups, different people groups with different pathways in their life. Some are Jewish and some are Gentile. There's tension in those people. But throughout the book, he's laid out the righteousness of God. He's laid out in crystal clarity the Gospel, the solution of which all brokenness can be reconciled and renewed and restored. So he's going to remind them of the pathway. He's going to give them hope. He's going to encourage them to endure. I want you to think, if you have a piece of paper, What's broken? You don't have to write it down. Maybe you just are thinking of it. Maybe you've, you know it. You're like, this is a no-duh. Here's some broken things in my life. Will you stand as we turn to Romans 15? We're going to be at Romans 15, 1 through 13, and I'm going to read it. Here's what the Lord is bringing to us today through the writings of Paul. He's writing from Corinth to the Romans, and he writes this. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, and through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol Him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. You may be seated.
Paul's prompting them. Specifically, Paul is prompting mature, stronger believers. He's counting himself among them. He's prompting them to do what? To encourage others to endure. He's saying, this is about us. He is once again not speaking to one person. So when we read, sometimes we go, well, okay, so I need to do this and I need to do that and this is about me. No, this is about us. The majority of the New Testament is written in a plural form. How are we as one? God has never called us to isolation. God is calling us into community. This is always about the life we live together for the Gospel into mission of the world. It's always active and it's always plural. That's God's essence, isn't it? Plural, Trinity, and always active on mission. As the Father sent the Son, the Son sent the Holy Spirit. And so too are we sent. And so he's saying this, as you travel that path that Jesus perfected and authored and exampled, he's saying in verse 1 through 7 here, in chapter 15 of Romans, he's saying, as you imitate, look at the example of what hope is all about. First, look at the Scriptures. They're full of endurance and encouragement. The Scriptures, they're full of enduring encouragement. The Scriptures, they are for you. These Scriptures here, the very essence of them is to serve you. Not to entertain you. Not to give you good ideas for, your, for you, you to write your own story. Though we do those things, we write songs from there. But these are meant to serve you. There's hope in that. If you are seeking hope, you go to the Scriptures to see how you may endure as a believer. The Scriptures themselves, the purpose is to serve you. They've been left to serve you. When is the last time you spent time being served by the Scriptures? When have the the Scriptures served something good to you? Something enduring to you. That's why they're here. They're here for us to encounter service. There's a richness in that. That our God has left something in in word form for you to digest and for you to be lifted up, to be built up. He's saying this to the church. He says, this is about edification. This is about you being built up. You mature believers, he says, you need to spend time with the others in their weakness. Their weakness shouldn't repulse you. You should be saying, let's have coffee. I want to talk this through with you. You may be a clanging symbol. You may be in your weakness, annoying to me and my flesh. But I choose you. I choose to be committed to you. I choose to be a part of your building up. And if you have something, especially that the Scriptures have given you, to give to another so that they may be built up, then He is saying, then that is what you are to do. You are not to be self-serving in this Scripture, He says. This isn't about you self-promoting. This isn't about you anymore. There's a deep contrast between the way we live in this world. I even find myself struggling with that at times. I even want to promote Red Sea or myself too much on Facebook or I see things like MySpace. I see Twitter accounts. I see how we want to propagate. And he's saying, no, don't spend the time promoting yourself and spending all of the the, the, uh, all of the building up for you, what you have and how you've been built up is ready to give away. 
And once again, we're finding this out, aren't we? As Red Sea, we're finding out we travel in relationship. And we say, we're not going to send tons of postcards out and, and get a billboard, unless it was given to us for free, I guess. But um, we're not actively going, hey, we'll promote ourselves this synthetic way. We'll tell everybody who we are. God says, no, build one another up. And in the end, promote me. And you will best promote me, not yourself, by serving. This is what the Scriptures do. They build up so that others will speak the Word of God so that that will never return void, so that some will come to know the One who sent the Word. Can you imagine this? That we would invest in each other so much that there would be a hope manifest. That we would enjoy living the way God asked us to live. That we would find value in being with one another through hardship. Things that endure. That no longer would we be a community where when people are struck in depression or when they are down, they would not close off and be to themselves, but they would rather speak of their depression to another because there is true hope found in this community through the relationship that we have with one another. And most of all, through the relationship we have with hope itself. The end of this Scripture says there's a God of hope. Our God of hope. Have you accepted the Scriptures into your life? Have you accepted God into your life? This is an economy. This is not a notion I'm speaking of today. This is a lifestyle of hope. A lifestyle of living hopeful. There's a language to living hopeful. Okay, these lights need to go up because I can't see a thing and I'm getting older by the minute. And I actually printed this smaller than I normally do. Thank you. Let's look at verses 3 and 4 and look at that example that he speaks of. So chapter 15, verse 3 and 4. Actually, just as a reminder, I want to read 1 and 2 again. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself. That's a good line to underline. For Christ did not please himself. He didn't come here to please himself. He came to serve and please the will of the Father. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. So he points to the first place of hope for you to go is is to the Scriptures. And then he says this, that that we might have hope. Verse 5, May the God of endurance... And encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. He says, there's your second place. Just written. Obviously, there's no order here. But he says, go to Christ. You want examples of hope that will encourage you to endure? Go to the Scriptures and go to Jesus. Go to the example of Jesus and live in harmony with one another. He says, when you go to Jesus, hope is built. Hope emerges. Let me give you a picture of that hope. When Jesus died on the cross and is buried, submerged, and He emerges, He resurrects, you cannot keep hope in Jesus Christ down. It's like trying to put something that is irrepressible down. You can take it as deep into the water as you'd like, 
But if it was meant to float, it will float and it will come back up. Jesus is the sure hope. Jesus will not be submerged. The things of God will not be buried. They will always come to the surface. Every single time. And that's what he's speaking about. He's saying this hope points to Jesus. So those examples of the Scripture, and as he points to Jesus, he says hope is the power. Hope is the depth of our faith. So as we think about this and we look in this Scripture, we say we're walking by faith. We're walking, we want to walk in harmony with you, God. But the other thing that he says is that as we walk the faith out that Christ walked, we walk in harmony with each other. I want to ask you, and for you to answer this, not audibly, could get embarrassing in here. But are you walking in harmony with others? Because one, you have to walk with them in order to even be in the game. So are you walking with other Red Seers? With people who have bought into this mission of drawing to Christ and developing it as a community and deploying out to culture? Are you in harmony with others? Is that what you're known for? Because if you are, then you bring hope. If you walk in that harmony, you bring hope to others. You are an encouragement in your presence. It's so vitally important to see that showing up as you are edifies the church. Not as you think you should be or in the way that you fantasize you'll have some certain spiritual knowledge, but as you are in your broken state, being with others and just showing up. So many times that is lost. We actually, in our flesh, look for excuses not to show up. How can I not be there? How can I not serve? What is my justification for being disharmonious with others? And so the picture Paul gives us is he says, as you're walking in the accord, in the rhythm of God, of Jesus, as you place your faith and your hope, and this is, this is the picture of this Scripture, that you would walk by faith, that that would be connected and you've placed your hope in Christ and nothing else, no other circumstances, nothing worldly, but in Jesus alone. As you place your hope in Christ, He says that the power to remain hopeful and encouraged and have this endurance is through the Holy Spirit. So he says, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, we walk this faith out and we come to this moment with Jesus where we place our hope in Him. And why is this? He says it a couple times. He says, the reason we walk this process out is so that God would be glorified. So as we place our hope as we walk by faith, as that's empowered by the Holy Spirit, we come to the cross and God manifests that hope. God reconciles these things. God brings the submerged and emerges and brings forward most of all His glory. And then we move on from there. We come here, and some people have already done this. This side, the approach to the cross, is in confession, is in the approach to say, here is my hopelessness, here is my sin, here is my pain. And we, are, we pray, and the Holy Spirit draws us in. And then at this point, the other side of the cross, the work of the cross, right through it, beyond the pain, beyond the strife, beyond what we endured, beyond is we get God's glory. And in God's glory, we receive joy. He says that. Will you be filled through the belief? Your belief will now be so fulfilled that you will have joy. That's the process in which God is drawing us into. And here's a challenge I want to give to you. I think there very clearly and historically, the Holy Spirit is not related to often. 
And so I believe this is one of the keys as to why we lose our hope. Because we do not sense, nor do we relate with the Holy Spirit. I've met several believers in Jesus Christ that have placed their hope in Jesus Christ, but do not feel attached to the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to know that God is not holding out on you. And it is not something you should accept to say, it's my personality, or it's just not my gifting to hear from God. I want to challenge you to be relentless in your faith to allow God to speak to you and wait. Patiently wait on the Lord. But the Holy Spirit wants to have a very clear relationship with each one of us. Here's the other assertion. Look at verse 7. Verse 7. After he gets through talking about that hope is that depth of the power that faith is tied to that brings God's glory. Let me repeat that to you. After he basically lays out for us, and what I've illustrated with the, with the rope is that the depth of God's hope, that hope will go as deep as far as you think something's been depressed. He is saying the hope of Jesus Christ is irrepressible. You cannot hold it down. And so when you travel by faith through the Holy Spirit and the empowerment, and as you're coming forward to the cross, God will emerge that hope in a very real way. God delivers His promises, His truth. You can believe. His promises are fact. You will see the answers to what God says. And so as He lays that out to them, He gives them this assertion And he says this in verse 7, doesn't he? After he said, hey, here's what harmony looks like. Look, walk out the ways. Be inspired by the Scriptures. Walk out the ways of Jesus. As you're harmonizing with God, as you're accepting more and more of God's tune in your life, as you're becoming attuned to what He says, as the chord, the harmony, the chord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as you're hearing and living this rhythm, as you're moving through your faith, as you're being empowered by the Holy Spirit, as this is all happening, I want you to do this. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. <sighs> I went to church last week in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. That's a northern Bible belt, if you've never been there. There are big churches everywhere. And I was told this morning that's the most liberal place in Idaho. So that was interesting to me. Coming from Portland. They don't measure on the liberal scale. Let me just put it that way. But as I went to church, I went to this church and I looked for 30, 40 minutes on the internet. Which church are we going to go to? And I'm looking, I'm looking at language. I want to see, is there a harmony in the language that they speak and the, the language that I speak according to the gospel, hopefully. I'm looking and, and seeking and searching where will my family harmonize with the gospel on Sunday morning. And so, to be honest, I wasn't totally thrilled about the church that I was going to go to. But we showed up to this church in the morning and um, we walked in there and we got into the row and within one minute... They were on time. They were on time. And they started singing, and I started to hear the song, and, and I thought, okay, and we're taking this all in, like some of you may have this morning. You're like, this is my first time at Red Sea. I'm taking that in. Okay. Still breathing. Everything's fine. I'm having this experience. I'm in a new place. I'm in a new community. And I'm telling you, something came up. Five minutes into it, the guy goes, and why don't you guys turn around and say hi to each other? And I'm like, I've heard that line before, okay. 
and in front of me for the past two songs with her hands raised was about an 82-year-old woman. And she turned around and immediately did this. She gave me a big hug. If you know me, I'm a huggy guy. Here's what she said to me. I want, I want to hear if you can, could you see yourself doing what this 82-year-old woman did? She gave me a really great huggy. And then she pulled me down a little. And this is what she said in my ear. She said, I love you. God bless you. I love you. I think that's what he's talking about in verse 7. Where he says, welcome. I love you. I'll endure with you. I'll encourage you. Let's get in tune with the harmony that God has for us. What if we were, I love you people? What if we welcomed people in a very peculiar way, right? That's not very worldly. That's not a popular way that we think of ourselves behaving. And then she did the same thing to my wife. And when we got into the car, what do you think the first thing that we remembered was? We were welcomed. We were loved. Hospitality is a piece of the gospel where it's not just about hugging, it's about having your life open to one another. That your life says, I'm open to having you in my life. It isn't, I'm open now and I'm gone. I'm open a little bit and I'm gone. And I understand this takes a lot of work. The work of God and the power of the Holy Spirit will pull your arms apart and your life and your finances and your activities and your time and the way that you want to live and will pull you from this, a love of self, to a love of others so that you will promote the growth and the building up of others. And that is hope becoming tangible. Where one opened his arms and said, I love you, God bless you, and died and then emerged as the living hope never to be sent under, always to emerge and to be exalted. That is why we praise Him because all of our hope is in the one that says, I love you. And all depression, all of sin, all of oppression, all disease, He took with Him and He buried that. And that, through Jesus Christ, has been taken care of. And to that we say, Amen. Welcome one another. I've been speaking to a family here that probably has that gifting. We want to improve what it's for people to be welcomed here. This is something we must take on ourselves. Do you welcome? Let's, let's, let's stretch the welcome out beyond the huggy. Do you welcome the truth of God into your life? Do you welcome the conviction and the movement of the Holy Spirit? Maybe there's a reason that you don't have a relationship with God is you're unwilling to do the things that God is actually asking, so therefore you don't want to hear from Him. What is God's movement on my life for this next decision? God fully intends to speak and to guide and to move your life. And what happens is we don't listen to Him and we do our own will and we live according to the own call and our own vision. And we're on our own mission, separate from what is biblical and of His believing community. And then what happens? We blame Him. Or, it's easy. this is easier, we blame each other. Well, you're the reason that I can't follow God in this hope and in this faith and in this glory. 
So verses 1 through 7, he shows us that living in the blueprint, in the pattern of Jesus Christ, he is the example that glorifies God. And in 8 through 13, you can write down that that glory is fueled. It is not depressed. That glory is expressed through hope in Jesus. Let's look at 8 through 12 real fast. Well, maybe not real fast. Verse 8 says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. This is to the Jews, right? So he says, imitate Jesus, build each other up, go to your Scriptures, get an example of who God is, be empowered by the Holy Spirit, live this way, this encouraging way, be in harmony with one another, welcome each other. Can you see this? There's a motion to it. Welcoming, I love you, bless you. What can I do to serve you? How can I live out these Scriptures? As the Scriptures serve me, I will serve you, the one who is five minutes behind me, that is a little bit weaker, that needs a little bit of my instruction. And as all of that is happening, he says, boom, and Christ, when we live out the way Christ is, I tell you that Christ became a servant to the, un- to the circumcised. So he's saying, God's promises, when God delivered hope to the Jews, it was promised And it is from God's truthfulness that He confirms this. And so He says this, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. Okay, Here's what's happening. Jesus is the hope for all people. Not just white Americans. And how do you know this? Because these scriptures say that Jesus delivered on God's promises to the people who were circumcised, to the the Jews, the ones who took covenant with God, who were in despair, who were wondering, God, did you leave us through these silent years, God? I did not hear your voice. I had a friend write on my Facebook the other day. I said, I love prayer. Prayer never sucks. He writes, really? How about when prayers hit the ceiling and they feel like they fall down? I wrote him a private note saying, you know, I'm sorry that that's happened. I'm sorry that you're going through that. I want to be an encouragement to you. When will we welcome each other and welcome another's sorrow, another's burden into our life? He says, but Christ fulfills the promises of God to the Jews and then to the Gentiles And look at verse 9, he says this, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. See, he's saying here's the motivation to glorify God, to live by hope, to place your hope in Jesus. Here's why. Because it's truth. Because what God has said is truthful and it's manifest through Jesus. The things God says are manifest perfectly in Jesus, he says. And he says for you Gentiles the majority of us are here, for those of us outside of Israel, he says, your motivation is God's mercy. Let me ask you this. This message here of the cross, is it causing transformation? Are you saying, in light of your mercy, God, in light of your compassion, my heart is changing. Because of what your glory is, my life is becoming beautiful. That's what happens. Is what happens is your heart begins to change. Do you know that there are beautiful things awaiting you that God will do through you when you cooperate with Him in the hope and the faith and the belief? He delivers this joy which becomes beautiful in your life. 
I not only asked you, are you known as one that is harmonious with your brothers and sisters? Do you work hard to be in harmony? Because what happens is when you start to serve people, sometimes they bite you. Leaders know this. It is super hard to lead people because they bite you. They, they actually hurt the hand that feeds. So as you try and serve people, you'll find that harmony is is up for grabs. Satan really wants to hit peace and harmony among the believers. So the more you serve, the more conflict you will see. But God, through this process, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will refine you. So beautiful things will come from your life, and those very situations that used to repulse you in the flesh, and those very people that used to repulse you, because of the power of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done at the cross, you will see them as beautiful. You will soon welcome them and say, I love you and I welcome you. And some of them are causing hell in your life. Some of them are your very adversary. Some of them are causing every day to you feel a strife and a labor. But God says, you someday will have such power that you I love you, God bless you. And he says, this is for all people. The hope that Jesus manifests and guaranteed for the Jews is now for the Gentiles. And the Gentiles should say, I've noticed that the God of the Jews is real. And now to find out that that God is for me must feel ridiculous. To say, you moving through the story of Moses, through all the patriarchs, in this day and age, this day and age, that you are my God. And my motivation is your glory. I am motivated for your fame, no longer my fame. I am motivated by the mercy you have shown all people through Jesus Christ. Have you ever been in conflict with someone? And been surprised to watch Jesus show up in their words and in their actions. It's a very humbling place. We welcome one another because God has welcomed you, his enemy. The one who holds sin and hostility and rebellion towards him in his ways. He welcomes us with open arms. He welcomes all people, it says. His mercy is amazing. And so he goes on to, to do and sing, I believe, that piece of Isaiah. And then he says this in 13. May the God of hope, the God of hope, the God of hope, I have a unique job. I get to look into your eyes every week. I see despair. I see hopelessness at times. In my flesh, I hate this job. I hate standing up between you and God. It's an extremely uncomfortable position to be. Until I run into the encouragement of the Scriptures that remind me there's a God of hope. Then what my flesh despises my spirit rejoices and I realize through God's mercy that my greatest privilege is to be between those who are hopeless and broken. And it is not a position only for a pastor or a preacher. It is for you as well. That you would stand between the broken, those who are broken and in their brokenness hurt you. That you would not only welcome them but that you would serve them, actively serve 
your adversary, the broken one, as God has, to deliver on God's truthful promises in a display of the rhythm of His mercy and His compassion in your life. This is the bond we have with our God and with each other. And he says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. I find that we have lots of strife in our belief. We are very good at pointing out why we don't believe. Why I don't believe God is working in you. Why you don't believe God is working in me. Why God is not working here. And then the outside says, so he... The outsiders are saying, here's why I don't believe God actually exists because of what I see at that church. What I see in those kind of people. What your relatives say? Well, yeah, that's why I don't, you know, that whole Christian scene that they're a part of. You know, they're Christians and they keep pushing, take the X out of Xmas, and they really want the words of Jesus in there. They're so annoying. They're the reason I don't believe. And so we find ourselves out of that belief. And he says, when you are in a place of belief, you will receive joy and peace so that by the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. God is the God of hope. He is the source and the power and the authority of a hope that cannot be and unrelentingly cannot be set down. Verse 13, look at that with me. In that, you see that Paul is praying for the favor among the Romans church. He's saying, invest in your belief. Your belief is the investment in the hope of Christ. And in that, you will receive joy and peace. And then he's saying, here's the return. The return is that you'll have an abounding hope. He challenges them to invest He encourages them to their unity. I just want to give you an image and then we're going to go into communion here in a sec. I came into town the other day when it was snowing and uh, I sat on the 84, the band field, for a little while. We have such an adequate highway system here. The nation's 22nd largest city. Two lanes going into the city. That is a move. But, nonetheless, as I'm in the family truckster, you know, the garments have only white vans. We have to look like we're a company. So, as we're in the 12-seater company van coming back into town from Coeur d'Alene, having just had that wonderful hug, the snow started to fall. And um, I don't know about you, but growing up in Southern California, um, I love snow because we had none. Because it's 80 degrees there today. Sometimes I want that. But as I was driving down the highway, the snow started to fall. And whenever the snow falls in Portland, it's always kind of an iffy thing. And so you're like, is it going to stay around? And the thing that was so beautiful, which reminds me of this abounding hope, is that it reminds me of what's possible with us here in St. John's and here in Portland. When we live by faith, when we live according to God's ways, when we welcome and love and have this hospitality, and we understand the power of the Gospel, it's like these snowflakes that come down. And before no time at all, It's everywhere, and it's covered everything. And I think sometimes there's a few people in the community that are like, I wish it would abound in hope. Oh, there's hope, but it didn't stay very long. Oh, there's hope, it didn't stay. Ah, I want to taste hope. And hope starts falling down. But what I think this Scripture says is, you want hope? Hope happens. 
hope is a lifestyle. Hope is a language. The transformation and the beauty that will come through your heart. You know what hope does? Hope rearranges your mind. You know what God's glory does? It puts you on your knees and you have a different disposition and you start to receive God's mercy and his compassion and you start to live that way and in that rhythm with each other, then it will cover everything. The trees and the ground and everywhere you look will be hopeful and hope will manifest itself. And this is what our community is waiting for. Where are the hopeful ones? Who believes in the God of hope? And when we say we do and we're being pulled by faith through the Holy Spirit power to the glory of God because it is delivered through the hope we have in Christ and we show up and we say we welcome you and we love you despite no matter who cares what your circumstance, what your background is, you come to us. We know hope. We have a story to tell you of hope. We have a story that we'll speak into called the gospel to your marriage, to your brokenness, to where you're broken. You don't get to speak that language until you understand receiving that influency. So my challenge today to you is, will you allow the Holy Spirit to relate to you in a way where He and only He will move, and He and only He will be Lord and caller of your soul, and, and, and you'll allow the hope of Christ to bring you up from the depressive state that you allow yourself to be put down in and under. For God is hyper-Nikeo. He is forever victorious. He is winning over and over again in this world. And that hope manifests itself. It's not just an idea. Someone in California thinks it's just an idea. There's a six-year-old that says, I've seen it on pictures. I've seen it everywhere else. But it's never come to my house. And that's the way we are. It's never come to my house. It's never come to me. Well, I will tell you today the hope of Jesus Christ because of the God of hope is here now for you to receive and to enjoy and to abound in just as you are. Just as you are. God is bringing that hope to you. He will lift you up. Your heart this year has the opportunity to have nothing but buoyancy. Your heart cannot be stuffed down. Your heart will come back up if we live this way. Your heart will be lifted. Your minds will be on things above. This is God's promise. Take the BS, baloney, crazy, mud-caked mire of your guilt and your shame and of your disgust and of your anger and of your hate towards one another and of yourself and even that of God and bring it to the cross. And so we do. I almost went over there. But every week, God says, you want hope? Here is a hope rhythm. How could hope be tangible for me? Okay, hope. I'm kind of getting it. I'm reading the scripture. Maybe I'll look at it later. (sighs) You hear that? That's hope. Watch this. That's what hope looks like. It's only a symbol of true hope. It's a sacrament. It is, a, it is something that leads us to real devotion. what hope tastes like. Hope is powerful. Some people fear hope. I made my sons watch a movie called Shawshank Redemption this week. There's a scene in that movie in a prison, if you haven't seen it, There's an innocent man that's been convicted guilty of murdering his wife. 
And at one point he gains favor with the warden and gains access to some records. And he plays, I think it's Figaro's wife. It's a Mozart movement. He plays this piece of Mozart. He locks the door to the bathroom where the guard is. And he locks the other door where the guards and the warden are about to come in. And he starts playing Mozart. Then he brings the PA system. He puts the PA system. And all of a sudden, Mozart is flying all over the concrete and the bars and the dead prison. And everybody's at a standstill in the laundry room and out on the jail yard. And they're listening. And do you know what they're listening to? They're listening to hope. And the guards break in and they take Andy and they put him in to the jail for two weeks. And the next scene is Andy coming out and he comes to lunch and he sits down at the the table and the first guy says to him, was it worth it? And he says, it was the easiest time I've ever done. And they all start cussing, yeah, baloney, right. And he goes, I had Mozart. He goes, but what I had was hope. He goes, do you know what hope is? Hope is something that they can never take away from you. Hope goes beyond the prison that you're in, the cell block that has held you down, that holds your family down, that maybe historically has held you back. Hope goes beyond that. One of the guys at the table, Morgan Freeman, plays this man and he says, hope is a dangerous thing. You shouldn't speak like that. Landy someday gets out of that prison and so does the other man. And hope becomes manifest. Paul writes so much of this gospel of freedom from what people think is captivity. These words come to you in your captivity. Jesus said, remember, live this in remembrance. And here's what he says in Matthew. It's not recorded in every time that they talk about the upper room and the Last Supper. But he says this in Matthew. He says, do this. And the next time that I do this, you'll be with me in my kingdom. That's called hope. As we come here we engage in the process of hope. Come to this cross today. Continue writing your sins and your confessions and the things that you're hoping for. And according to the Scriptures and according to what God says and what promises, on the other side, tape what you know is the truth of your God. Tape what you know of His glory. Record once again in your mind and your hearts where hope has become manifest in your life. Be reminded that this is the God of hope. As we rejoice, as we sing, as we come to communion, as we reverberate, as we see the rhythm and the harmony of what He has brought to us in this hope and this freedom. And we will, those who believe, will receive joy now you will be at that table with Jesus Christ very quickly. Please pray with me. Jesus, we thank You for being our living hope. We thank You that we can approach the cross, that the cross is the perfect picture of what Paul is writing here and what endurance is. We not only need to say, here is our encouragement in the cross, but how can we be like You in imitating Your example of hope for others? How will we bear our cross and bear the cross and the load for others that we are called to welcome? Help us to see that we have hope in Christ and that there is power in the Holy Spirit and that this leads to the glory of the Father. Let us move away. Let Your hope lift us up beyond the mire of our guilt. Let us see that Your kingdom come 
now that there will be a day where we'll full, be fully aware of your total presence. But Holy Spirit, you remind us now that kingdom ways can be evident now, and that is hope. The God of hope is the inventor and the source and the power and the authority of hope. Let us yield to hope. Let us no longer in depression, in suppression. Let us be yoked to your irrepressible hope. There's no way. There's no defeat. Let us be encouraged today by the good news that you have brought us in that Jesus has died for our sins and our sins weigh us down. Our sin disease kills us. And I see Jesus, I see You in the Gospels, in Luke. I see You encounter tax collectors and lepers. And and in other places in the Word, it says that You went through the cities healing of these diseases. And You have healed us of our disease that has led to our separation from our God of hope. Lord, we confess to You and we come to You with humility and with a recognition of the mercy You have shown us Gentiles. We love You so very much. We pray that You would use us to speak to our neighbors hope. Let us have a confidence in the truthfulness of the things You've told us today so that when we are speaking to others, we have a confidence that God will deliver well that it's not a a bait-and-switch story. Let us receive You more and more. And receive each other more and more so that our relationship speak of the hope that people are looking for. We love You, God, and we thank You for this morning. You have been richly blessing us and bestowing upon us the beauty of Your truth. And of course, Your grace. Thank you, God, in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.